0: Last week, we spoke with this podcast's returning champion, Dr. Krishana Sankar of Science Up First. We talked about the disinformation circulating online surrounding the pandemic and vaccination, and learned about the real science that disproves the conspiracy theories floating about. This week, we're bringing you part two of that two-episode arc, and speaking to another expert from Science Up First, this time about the mental health and human behavior aspects of that disinformation. My name is Eric Bolman. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. Early in the pandemic, we heard a lot about suicide. A lot of people were shouting from the rooftops that lockdowns would lead to a huge increase in suicide. The kids being unable to attend school would lead to more and more children dying by suicide politicians started to run with this idea and use the notion as a way to explain why they were against public safety measures. Now this caught the attention of today's guest who thought to himself, wait, I'm an expert on suicidology and this kind of talk doesn't make sense. He started to push back that against that disinformation and that led him to science up first.
1: My name is Tyler Black. I'm a psychiatrist in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm an associate professor at the uh, Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. What well, my primary interests are are suicide and children.
0: You are part of science up first. You are engaged in combating online disinformation around the coronavirus and around the vaccine. And uh, we've just spoken to uh, Dr. Krishana Sankar, uh, who has given us a little bit of the science behind, you know, why vaccines are effective and you know what is true and what isn't and. I had a whole plan for things to ask you today that was based around what she had told me last week. But then uh, as perhaps you can see uh, in my zoom here, I am a Packers fan. And <laughs> in the intervening couple of days since I spoke with her, Aaron Rogers has tested positive for COVID-19 and is unvaccinated according to the league. And yet, claims to have been immunized somehow in a way that wasn't the vaccine before the season started. And it's making my head explode uh, because I have considered him to be one of the smartest players in the whole NFL. So this is something that can befall even the smartest among us. And I'm hoping you can explain at least to me, talk me off this ledge here.
1: It's, it's frustrating. Um... My understanding from some of the reporting is that he took a homeopathic mixture that he was told was equivalent to vaccination. There is no equivalent to vaccination, and homeopathy is basically magic drinking water. But what ends up happening is when people are really into health, they can make a really common fallacy. That's called the naturalistic fallacy. The idea somehow that natural things are better than quote-unquote non-natural things. Of course, we make everything that comes from our planet, so there's no real definition of what's not natural. Um, And if you looked at the lists of ingredients in a strawberry, you'd see a whole bunch of chemicals that don't feel very natural to you, but we have this naturalistic fallacy. And and unfortunately, just because of how finely tuned and nutritionally aware athletes are, they substitute their knowledge for nutrition in athletics, for nutrition in science. And it's a very common, uh, common thing to see that the more someone really gets into health things, the more they're a little bit more prey to the naturalistic fallacy and naturalistic explanations for disease, which aren't actually scientific definitions for disease. So you see this in in many elite athletes. You see this in a lot of um, you know athletic trainers and these types of things. they will recommend certain waters for your health and certain you know pH of your water for your health and all these things. And and so uh, you know give him some credit, but also give her all, ourselves all credit. You know being misinformed. Is not necessarily an intelligence issue. Being misinformed is who's talking to you, and are you able to do the critical research around what it means? I do think that I do think that when people say they've done research, what they often means is they Googled it quickly. Doing research means looking for counterfactuals, looking for things that disprove what you're looking for. Um, and and Aaron Rodgers clearly didn't do that because. He has enough money and smarts and people around him that someone must have told him that getting a homeopathic mixture is not the same as as being vaccinated.
0: I would imagine that somebody did and other players on the team have tested positive as well, but it ends up being a different situation because they were vaccinated and therefore all they need is two consecutive negative tests and they can get back and play. But because he is in an unvaccinated position, the NFL has decided, no, you have to wait two weeks regardless.
1: And, and and you know, obviously it has football implications. I think they're playing the Chiefs, which, you know, is not a small thing. Uh, but it also has Aaron Rodgers implications. He could get really sick. We know that people who are unvaccinated... Have a much higher chance of, of getting sick, getting hospitalized, and even dying. So, you know, I, I really hope the best works out for him. I'm never someone who takes glee in people's misfortune because I do think misinformation is what's ruling the day. It's why Science Up First is so dedicated to removing misinformation, uh, to correcting it, and to providing the best science.
0: Now, you said earlier, uh, you know, people need to do their own research and. That means looking for counterfactual things. Can you maybe walk me through what you would do? You know, right, yeah. You're a scientist. You, you know hear yeah. something new. How do you go about looking at the facts and deciding what's true?
1: There's a couple of really cool strategies that people don't do um, that if you train yourself to do, they become really quick hits on how to be a better critical thinker. When a claim is being made, look for the best evidence for that claim and then critically read through that evidence. So if someone tells me that Bigfoot is real, I want to see the best photo of Bigfoot. I want to see the best evidence that Bigfoot is real. And then I want to critically analyze that. How convincing is the best evidence? And if the best evidence isn't very convincing, Well, then why is my lesser evidence going to help me at all with that? And so often what we tend to do when we're researching an issue like, oh, I I wonder if vaccines are safe. um, Someone might Google something like, are vaccines unsafe? Read an article by someone who says that vaccines are unsafe. And then they're, they're just going to be convinced by what they read. But instead, you should read the pitch by the person who's saying that vaccines are safe. You shouldn't read the pitch by by the person who's believing what you're fearing already or who's stating what you're fearing already. Read the counterfactual. And it's a really good way to test evidence. And and it's an honest way to test evidence. When vaccines come out, it's not like they're approved right away. In fact, they go through a regulatory, uh, regulatory committee that looks at them and critically asks, is there enough evidence for this? Is this evidence good? And when you're designing science, you're always designing it in that way. If I have an idea that the earth is round, I test whether or not I can prove it's round by trying to disprove its roundness, not trying to prove its roundness, By trying to disprove its roundness. I'm answering all of the questions of whether or not it's round. And so this is the type of thing that, um, that really can, can, you know, gets you to good critical reading. Now, Critically reading something doesn't mean reading it and just being skeptical of everything that's being said. It's taking a look at the evidence and trying to figure out how much can I trust this evidence? Where's the biases, these types of things. There's great online guides on how to critically read research. And when I see people spreading misinformation in the guise of research, whether it's a very small, uncontrolled study of a a, a anti-parasitic like ivermectin for COVID-19. It's not good evidence. It's honestly very, very poor evidence because it's not a randomized control trial. Or if it is a randomized control trial, they told people what they were getting. So it wasn't blinded and and all these things. And and the better the research is, you should be more convinced.
0: The issue I think that maybe I have there is that most people, I believe, cannot distinguish between good evidence and bad evidence, right? The You mentioned ivermectin, and I have a friend who's really trying to convince me that ivermectin is the miracle cure for all things COVID, and yet also believes COVID is overblown and is kind of a hoax and all of these other things that seem counterfactual, but the method she's trying to use to convince me is by sending me all of these medical trials that are published in real medical Mm -hmm. journals. And I can see that they're not because I live in this world. I'm not a scientist, but I, I, you know, spend a lot of time in this space. So I can see that it's definitely not a real medical journal that they've just created a website full of ivermectin studies that popped up online six months ago but because it's presented in a you know scientific definitive way I don't know if the reg if an average person who does look at all sides of this can distinguish between that and a real you know published a reputable Mm -hmm. journal.
1: I I hope one of the things that comes out of all of this is we recognize how dangerous and how insidious misinformation can be because an an actor who designs to fool people can fool really, really, really good people. I don't know if you remember that there was a, a study that came out on ivermectin very recently that was published in a major journal. And it was it started to make the rounds. And then it was found out that the author simply fabricated the data. It was quickly ret- retracted. Uh, but a lot of really clever scientists fell for it. And they said, oh, my goodness, it looks like ivermectin might work. You know, when a scientist breaks their ethics and tries to fool you, you have a really good chance of being fooled, which is why, you know, science at first is about countering misinformation. And one of the things we really have to tackle in the coming years, especially as we enter this extreme information age, information is flying at us um, at light speed, is how are we going to modify misinformation and can an individual do it or do we actually require government Help to do so. Is there regulation necessary on these things? Now I'm in Canada, and you're in America. I can see the <laughs> the Green Bay. Bay. Oh right, no, no, I, I
0: I'm in Ottawa. We're, oh, uh, you're in uh, Ottawa. Is uh, you're
1: just a Green Bay Packers I'm fan? Just I just, a Packers okay.
0: yeah. Or I was weird. Till, I don't know Tuesday. <laughs> okay. Um. All right.
1: So we're both here in Canada, and we struggle with this. Um. Uh. We struggle with this uh, a little bit uh, less than our American colleagues. But we still struggle with this idea a lot, is how much is our freedom to provide information um, taken away from us? Like uh, a lot of the protests and struggles uh, that we see have to do with freedoms and taking away freedoms. But of course, some freedoms have significant costs and and there's lots of things that we're not free to do. We're not free to drink and drive. We're not free uh, to not put our children in in seat, um, seat carriers when we're driving, these types of things. Um, so some freedoms can be taken away from us if they have a significant health cost. And, and, and misinformation is one of these things that I think governments have to tackle because there, there can't just be uh, an online repository of information that people choose from. Uh, that's just not gonna work. Uh, the ne- democratization of truth is never gonna work because the true stuff is true and the false stuff is false. And you can't vote on which one is true and which one is false. This isn't, you know, what color do you see? This is, um, you know, does ivermectin work for COVID? The scientific answer to that is clearly no. And if it does work, it works extremely, extremely, extremely poorly, such that it's almost undetectable. But by getting people to vote with their eyeballs or what they choose to consume it's putting pressure on people who don't have the skills to read through that research and figure out whether or not it's true or false. And so that's where attention is really going to lie. And, and, you know, I, I don't have the answers for that. I don't think scientists should run the world because scientists make mistakes all the time too and are, are fallible people. But we do have to do something seriously legislative, probably about misinformation, um, because it's only going to get worse. We don't On top of misinformation, there's disinformation. Literal bad actors who are trying to disrupt our information.
0: And and this is one of the things that I I really wanted to talk to you about, because this is the one thing that I have such a hard time wrapping my head around. I remember there was a, you know, when they were talking about uh, the fact that Bill Gates is going to microchip you through this vaccine, and somebody put up a blueprint schematic of the microchip, and it started to get shared like wildfire. And then it was somebody musical pointed out, like, that's clearly the schematic for a bass amplifier. It's (laughs) right. like There's no way that that's a microchip, but, uh, you know, it looks kind of scientific. It looks like a schematic that maybe could be a a microchip. And this gets shared. But somebody had to create that in the first place. Somebody had to look at that design and say, oh, I'm going to tell everyone this is a microchip clearly a bad actor. You're talking about the scientists who fabricated all the ivermectin data and had it published in a journal. The company that manufactures ivermectin has been saying Merck, right? They've been saying it is not good to use with COVID. Please don't. We need it for people who actually, uh, you know, have to use this drug for parasitic infections, so on. So it, I, it can't be a financial motivation for this scientist, I imagine. What is the motivation? What makes somebody do this?
1: It's, it's really hard. to We know that there's a certain group of people who are disruptors. Um, you know, if, if you ever watch one of these viral videos about a riot that's occurring and it appears to be a riot over racial tensions or a riot over police reform or whatever it is, often what you'll see is there's people who've come from miles and miles and miles away to just take the opportunity to destroy some buildings. Um, they're just disruptors. And 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 disruptors take a whole, uh, you know, in the online space, I, I'm not sure how long you've been online, but I've been online literally when the internet was created right. um, and became a thing. We know about trolls. Trolls just get their kicks out of getting rises out of people. We know that there's um, political reasons. We went through an entire you know, what seems like a decade, but it was only a few years of looking at how much a country tried to influence another country's election. We, we, we have intentional espionage and, and sabotage going on. Um, so it could be everything from very high, specific targeted campaigns by governments to provide misinformation and propaganda, all the way down through to just someone who enjoys having people fight each other and enjoys watching people get upset over things. I know that this is going to sound like really sort of, I and you know, sort of, sort of Pollyanna and, and just sort of dreamy, but we, we have to rise above looking at trolls as like some kind of like, Oh, it's just the cost of being online as people will do this when people are intending to harm us. That is an assault and we have to do something against it. We have to defend ourselves um, because people, people are victimized. I don't know how many people died during the pandemic because they believed in misinformation and they didn't get vaccinated or they believed disinformation and didn't get vaccinated, but the number isn't zero. There are a lot of people who died specifically because of disinformation and
0: misinformation. And so even more so maybe, uh, you know, there are people who certainly died because they believed it, but they may also have caused the death of somebody else who did, uh, you know, believe the science and yet uh, was exposed as a result.
1: I'm reminded of how a lot of this comes down to sort of follow the money. A lot of people will attack the makers of vaccines for how much money they're going to make on vaccines, when really vaccine development is not a large money maker. But you know, compared to, to compared to other drugs, but um, really, is some of these. Big grifters, like the 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 big ones who who make a lot of misinformation. People with very specific names. They were named in, you know, the Department of Justice's blast of the top ten misinformers during the pandemic. And these are physicians, like Joe Mercola, and things like this. These these are misinformers. These are people who make a lot of money doing this. They they sell natural supplements. They uh they they get speaking fees. They they lead entire movements, but they take a little bit of money while they're doing so and and there's big money to be made in disinformation as well so it's it's really complicated why people would do this i i i wish they wouldn't and i think it's very scummy but i can see why if you're trying to make your career rise and maybe it's hard to make your career rise in science why having a landmark study that shows that ivermectin works might be a pretty profitable way to do so.
0: I've always thought I come from this uh, from more of a media background. I was I've been in media for a long, long time. And I've always sort of thought that when you look at something like Fox News in the States or some of these rebel media type uh, organizations in Canada that do tend to traffic more in disinformation than other reputable news sources, I think that to make your name as a I don't want to say journalist because that's the wrong word, but uh, you know, as a media personality, it is much easier to do so as a right-wing uh, <laughs> disturber than it is as a left-wing pundit who sort of is bound by working within a factual framework, whereas it seems like more and more on the right, you don't have to work within a factual framework, and you can just say Whatever makes your audience feel good in that exact moment and then issue maybe a disclaimer when you're forced to by a lawsuit three weeks down the road doesn't seem to really matter anymore. And I'm worried that this is taking us further and further apart. You're talking about maybe government legislation of in some way curtailing disinformation online.
1: It's tough. I mean, the freedom of the press is an essential part of a working freedom and and, and so I, I I value the freedom of the press so much. Um, there's been so much that good journalism has done to uncover literally government corruption that you can see the the counter argument really quickly to why government shouldn't be able to control the press. But we we struggle with this, and and it's a struggle that we all will have to tackle. Is what happens when when You can't tell the difference between news and not news. One of the ways that some of the mainstream right-wing outlets get around misinformation is they provide, quote-unquote, legitimate news for a portion of their day, and then they switch over to what they call entertainment programming. And that entertainment programming looks a lot like newscasts. It's people at desks and people wearing suits and, and delivering the headlines of the day. Uh, but now with a very slanted editorial message and, and you know editorials are something that newspapers and, um, and and media organizations have always taken careful careful aim at making sure that the viewer or the reader knew this was an opinion. This is not the same as our reporting and and you don't see that happening a lot um, I don't know what the ultimate what the ultimate solution will be. Um, But I I do think that we have to fear this idea that we just have to democratize our information and the truth will come out uh, because that implies that information is given to you fairly. Uh, When someone has an agenda to deliver information, they can shape it really well. If I wanted to say something really untrue about my twin brother, I could just tell you all of the bad stories I remember about my twin brother. And then all of a sudden, you would think, oh, this guy, this brother of yours, he's a real jerk, but he has, he's, an, he's a lovely person. I, I love him a lot. And, 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 and I'm just not sharing you all of the information. So even if I don't specifically lie, I can tailor what you believe. And, and so um, looking at media as people who tailor information um, is probably why we, we might need government control of that. But I don't want the government to dictate what media can say. So I don't know what the answer is. I I think it has to be really important for, it has to be really important for people. I think at some point we have to say enough's enough. Too many people are being harmed by misinformation. In my world, it's anti-psychiatrists. In in other medical fields, it's, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, alternative medicines that lead people down really bad pathways to unnecessary harm, injury and death. Um, in uh, uh, prior to COVID uh, even anti-vaccine things uh, were being said about children and autism and and this led to a whole bunch of children unnecessarily getting diseases that are very dangerous Um, so so we've had this problem for a really long time obviously COVID made it uh, a lot more poignant.
0: Yeah, I I remember measles outbreaks uh, taking place before COVID and that was a really big deal and sort of a scary thing that we had reached a point where enough people really believed vaccines were giving children autism and thought that autism was somehow worse than measles uh, for some reason. I mean there are a lot of layers to that and then yes COVID comes but COVID also happens to come at a time where all kinds of other disinformation is out there. QAnon conspiracy theories, right? Uh, American elections being totally rigged against Republicans who didn't win, but not against those who did and all this kind of stuff. And it seems to all, a lot of it is the same people and the same groups who are sharing all of this stuff all at the same time. I think you'll find that a lot of the people who believe ivermectin is a miracle cure are very much in... In line with the QAnon believers who think that there are there's a cabal of international elites who drink children's blood, you know? Uh, it's not a dissimilar. The Venn diagram crosses over a lot, is what I'm saying. It,
1: it, it always does. And this is why um science-based advocates and 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 you know, skeptical scientists. Skepticism has a has a almost negative connotation of being doubting, but skeptical science is this this notion of testing evidence for things and how do we know what we know. Um, it's why we've been ringing the alarm bells about anti-vaccine and, and, and conspiracy theories and you know sometimes it's, it's parlayed as just sort of entertainment like oh look at these people who fell for this conspiracy. But it's actually a really big deal that's starting to really have major effects on our society and you're right, the Venn diagram is always very small. If someone's arguing me, with me about whether or not vaccines work, and I just happen to click on their Twitter profile and read through a few of their other posts, I'm going to see a lot of misinformation that isn't just related to vaccine. These are people that that get um, bought into a number of conspiracies and start believing a number of of, of things. And so uh, the Venn diagram is is typically quite, quite
0: overlappy. I imagine it is. And another thing that I've been talking to a lot of people about and again from a media background is as you said it's easy to sort of laugh at the people who you know believe these things the way we used to you know kind of chuckle about people who thought the moon landing was faked because it didn't harm anybody and you're like okay all right you think that it was on a sound stage whatever right doesn't hurt anyone i'm not going to go on your facebook page and you know contradict you i'll just let you have that one But now it's something that causes real harm. And I think that with a lot of these conspiracies, the media, even the media who are reporting the facts and who are above board journalists, are still contributing to it in a way because they hear these conspiracy theories and they think to themselves, wow, that's super ridiculous. And if I present it to my audience, they will see it as ridiculous the way I do. But they don't necessarily see it that way when you just present it and say, look at what these people believe. They showed up in a square for the return of JFK Jr. to join Donald Trump as his running mate. And,
1: <laughs> and, and and you know, for something like that, that's very fringe, you know, if if media didn't fall to the probably the worst trick that media does on that game is always presenting what we call both sides. So they'll they'll do some eight minute report on some conspiracy theory like um, very recently uh, some, some quote unquote UFO footage was released uh, by the government which you know continues the trend of every single UFO ever photographed being a blurry dot and 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 they they did this long standing interview with the person who believed that these were aliens. And proof of UFOs. And then they said, and then we talked to a a skeptic and the skeptic gets one minute, just like the other person got five or six minutes to counter all of that. Um, You know, it's not both sides of an issue. There's a truth and there's not a truth. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of when someone is ca- caught saying something and the media dances around allegedly lied. It's okay to say when something's a lie. But by, by, by pretending to be objective, you can lose your objectivity. If you take someone who's telling a lie and someone who's telling a truth, and you each give them four minutes to present their side, and then you go to the, the, the viewer and you say, there we go. I have presented honestly both sides of this story you're not conveying the fact that one of them is telling the truth and one of them is lying. Right. So media, media has has a role here. They'll always kind of distance themselves and say, well, we report what people are talking about, but it depends how you report it. I can't tell you how many people, if interviewed, the, the, the report would be very boring because most people don't believe that JFK Jr. was coming back. But a, a group of people did. and And by making it seem like here's this thing and here's this person who says this thing is wrong it, it actually inflates the position of this of, of the strange belief it inflates it not deflates it
0: i'm surprised the media hasn't learned this lesson with decades of covering climate change yeah. this is the one where i see this both sides thing has gone on for so so long where yeah. if you were to truly present both sides of it you would have 99 climate scientists on in a row, and then you would give one skeptic 30 seconds at the end of it. And that would yeah. be the balanced report. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't make for good news. You have, you, so you do give each one four minutes and then it absolutely doesn't present it in the way that it actually exists. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's tough. Um, you know, climate science is a, a, is a great model for this discussion because, from the scientific point of view, it's very boring, you know, it's gone from, I think, 91% of all scientists thinking that humans caused climate change 20 years ago to like 98. Um, You know, this is, this is uncontroversial stuff. But of course you can find the pocket of people who are challenging it and science requires challenge. It's okay for someone to be in the space of trying to present science to disprove what people are thinking. That's how science advances. But science vets this through testing and retesting. science tests, you know, and if climate change and and especially humans impact on climate change didn't have scientific merit, science would have found this out because it's being tested and retested. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that media can make this a very, both sides are even type of presentation when in reality, there's only one truth and we're, we're starting to really see how that's impacted us. Um, I think it's a lot harder today for the media to say, um, here's both sides of climate change because literally. Fires are starting, and whole cities in Canada are being wiped out. Um, and, and we're seeing these huge, huge heat and, and weather events. Um, uh, so, so, my hope is that we take this seriously and we stop trying to pretend that um, you know neutrality will get us out of this.
0: So, science up first, obviously not taking a neutral position at nope. all. But going forward, do you think you might end up tackling something like climate change uh, in addition to? COVID and vaccines and that sort of thing, which is obviously the priority right now.
1: I, I, there's, you know, our our goal for science at first is to be really out there combating misinformation when it comes to any scientific topic and making sure that the science that's out there is presented in a way that most people can understand and presented in a way that is convincing to most people. we, we, We aren't just scientists, we're also science communicators. And we work really hard to package information for people so that it's easy to understand, but also convincing. We provide references. We we don't just say what we say and then here's a graph and believe our graph. We say, here's what we say. Here's our sources for this. And and if you want to do more research, here's where you can do it. And, and it's obviously COVID has been a big part of why... Senator Kucher and, and um, Professor Caulfield founded this program, but we are we are aiming at all science, and, and climate science is definitely something we care a lot about.
0: So, how did you get involved in this project? Uh, <laughs> what led you to science? Yes, yeah, are to you say, the only psychiatrist on I, the panel?
1: I don't think I'm the only person with mental health experience on the panel. I think I am the only psychiatrist. Uh, it's funny. I got drawn into the misinformation war on this because of my background in children's mental health and suicide. I'm an an expert in in research in suicidology, which is the study of suicides. And one of the things that early came out of the pandemic, especially when governments were enacting pandemic responses, was a line of misinformation that suicides were increasing because of lockdowns. Suicides were increasing because of government measures, where that 2020 was gonna lead to a tsunami of suicides because of just the pandemic or unemployment or whatever. And here I am, an actual suicidologist with actually things to say, and I started to say those things. And I started to get drawn into misinformation wars. People started sending me articles that, you know there was a, a Canadian uh, scientist who put up an article saying that due to the unemployment rate there would be 2,000 extra suicides in Canada in 2020 um, and we're like hold on just a sec Dr. Kuchar and I worked on some uh, Stan Kuchar who's a senator um, from, from Nova Scotia and I worked on a paper on this and then we um, we I started noticing that this became really political uh, Donald Trump would say, you know, there will be more deaths due to suicide than there would be due to, to this silly virus. Um, right. Now, I, I don't, I didn't quote him there, but that yeah. was definitely his message about a lot of the time.
0: A hundred percent. And and
1: and 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 so I tried to bring science to the table, and and in that, you know, on Twitter, in social media, in op eds, I tried to talk a lot about how prior to the pandemic. Um, Suicide was is an issue like it's not like this issue is being created by the pandemic and we actually don't know what will happen during the pandemic. And I was cautioning against this wave of quote unquote experts, uh, people who actually have no expertise in suicide talking about how suicides would increase. And I was I was actually trying to get out there saying it might not. Um, and what actually ended up in Canada, there was a 32% reduction in suicides in 2020. So despite right. it being an extremely trying year, there was a, a decrease in suicides. In the United States, it was a 6% reduction. In pretty much every institutional I- industrialized nation in the world, um, suicide rates came down. There were a few exceptions. Japan went up slightly. Of course, that made big news because people believe that. So it was reported more heavily. Um, but uh, but the reality is, is suicide rates came down, and and then um, so so I find that mental health was a very convenient weapon for misinformation. People would wield mental health as an as a as a some kind of reason that we should end pandemic measures and send kids back to school right. for their mental health. And I'd be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Prior to the pandemic, kids were. 55 percent more likely to die of suicide on school days. right so sending them back to school for their mental health if you're trying to prevent suicides during a pandemic that's already stressful this might not actually be a good idea and and, and so you know I, I don't get to say what we can do and what we can't do but I saw the misinformation in mental health being used and of course mental health misinformation is just so rampant online. If someone says online, oh, I'm depressed, a million people will tell them, have you tried zinc? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? And, and right. there's evidence-based ways to help someone with a depression. So my hope is to always provide science-based misinformation countering to science up first for mental health. And, and I've been able to do that. I hope people recognize how important misinformation is for people who suffer with mental um, health challenges.
0: So has there been enough time now over the course of this pandemic that there are any trends that you can point to uh, in terms of correlation between uh, lockdown measures, between the pandemic itself and that kind of stress with the suicide rate?
1: Well, there's there's, there's a few themes that are coming out of it that I think they won't be surprising to people who, who kind of look a lot at social factors. Um, But the more that governments provided for people during this time of hardship, I think the better we were protected against suicide. So I think Canada had a much more robust plan for supporting Canadians who lost work or lost income due to COVID than say America did. And I don't think it's a coincidence that our reduction of suicides was significantly stronger than America's reduction of suicides during the first pandemic year. Um, so so I think governments have a role to support people during hard times. That's probably the best role of government. And governments that choose to do this probably protect their constituents the most. Another trend that's, that's disturbing to see that, that I think will hold is that marginalized, racialized, and um, disadvantaged people were the most harmed by the pandemic. I would not be surprised to see a study, and it'll take a while to do this because the stats come in very late for us. To see that people who had severe mental illness suffered the worst during the pandemic or people who who are racialized um, in Canada indigenous people maybe didn't see the reduction of suicides that non-indigenous people saw Uh, I think these trends are are likely to hold if what I'm seeing in internal data um, sort of comes out in the United States we see this as a reduction of suicides for white Americans but a slight increase in suicides for black hispanic um, and indigenous americans and so i i think sometimes these top line trends can miss some really important parts about our society there aren't necessarily pandemic problems but they were exacerbated by the pandemic the, the one that concerns me the most is I, I think that the first year was a lot easier for kids because we gave them a break from school and the second year is going to be a lot harder from kids because we added school to really a pandemic that has not settled down. Uh, We hope we are in the end of our fourth wave and and because of vaccination and everything we're doing, this is the end of it. Uh, But we have hoped this in previous waves. Uh, You know, I'm not seeing a lot of the changes in sort of managing uh, kids distress that I'd hope. I'm not seeing schools take a a lot easier approach to homework and tests. I'm not seeing Uh, a lot of universities saying, hey, our entrance requirements, um, we get it. It's during a pandemic, don't stress about this. We'll figure out some way to figure out who to admit and who not to admit, but it won't all be about marks. And, And so I do worry a little bit about this coming summer. Um, as we approach, um, you know, the months of March, April, and May, I think it's going to be a really stressful time for kids. In 2021, I think emergency departments got really hammered for for pediatric admissions for mental health during March, April, and May, and I think 2022 could be as bad. So I hope we start recognizing we need to give kids a break during a pandemic, just like we all had to give ourselves breaks during the pandemic. Right. so a lot of parents want to return the kids to normal but it's not normal yet and it's 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 still stressful and there's still things to be worried about and there's still so and so sick so and so's in trouble I you know I'm worried about so and so and there's all the stress in the air um, it's okay to give kids a break and so that's my big message is take the temperature of your kids and if they're struggling they they deserve a break
0: I think that's great advice uh one last thing that just occurred to me as you were speaking there. And I saw this, I think this morning, but the murder rate in the US has gone up very significantly over the last year and a half. And a lot of people are trying to tie this into, you know, the division, social media, uh, the anger that is spilling out into real life events. People are showing up to real life events. They do want their opponents executed in the public square and all this kind of thing. And the murder rate has really skyrocketed, while the suicide rate has decreased somewhat. I know it's not your area of expertise, but I'm wondering if there's uh, any trend that you're seeing there that, that you can follow at least.
1: Um, well, uh, we'll. St- I'll see. I mean, we're we're both here presenting from Canada, and and I'm always cautious about looking at American crime data and translating it to some larger phenomenon. So, pandemic was worldwide. So, if we exp- if there was a pandemic effect, we would see a worldwide increase in homicides. And I'm not sure we will see that. I do think America has a really specific combination of division and guns and we know that there were a ton of gun purchases during the pandemic and anytime there's anger and you have access to a weapon an impulsive angry brain can injure a lot more with a gun around than with anything else around and so I don't know what the final sort of determination on the increase will be but I often find that American crime data sort of filters out to us in Canada and, and tells us stuff that, you know, maybe maybe we will or will not see. I'm not sure what, what, what Canadian data will show, but I will say that tension and division and misinformation and stress and distress is not, you know, just because suicide rates didn't come down doesn't mean people are suffering. We've had you know, we've had um, so many surveys where Canadians, Americans, everyone surveyed has indicated that they've had a really rough time during this pandemic. And so, this is a time for us to reach out and and be kind to people when we have the ability to show our kindness. This is the time to reach out and be charitable to people charitable to people who need our charity. If you have reserve, if you have privilege, if you have money, if you have a job, this is your time to help others who do not. Because our society is hurting right now. Our society is really struggling, not just with the pandemic, with racial challenges and um, with, with injustices You know, in Canada that, that continue. Now's the time to reach out and be kind if you have the capacity to do so. It will have a good effect on your fellow man because we're all struggling.
0: Absolutely and I think it also will have a good effect on you because all all the studies show that uh, charitable and uh, you know benevolent acts uh, have a positive effect on the person who performs them as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah it's it's you know you know ph- philosophically you know it brings up can you ever truly be charitable because it makes you feel good to be charitable but of of course it feels good to help others but people really need us right now. There are, there's a there, this this is a situation in which if you are someone who has a privilege of any sort, use that privilege now. There's never been a better time to do so. Um, you, you can have more power now because people need you. And and so, uh, so, so go ahead and use it.
0: I think that is a wonderful message to leave off with. Dr. Tyler Black, expert on suicidology drawn into the disinformation war almost by accident. Thank you, Dr. Black, for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you for the work you and the rest of the experts at Science Up First are doing to combat the online disinformation that's threatening the health and safety of our fellow citizens. Mindful is hosted, written, edited, and produced by me, Eric Bullman. Our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. <music>